0: This episode is sponsored by Isotope. Their audio software like RX helps to clean up my recordings, and they have a ton of other products on their site, Isotope.com/ruinous. Right now, Ruinous Media and Fretboard Journal listeners save ten percent at checkout on any Isotope plugin or bundle using the code FRET10. So, if you have a podcast or produce music, go to Isotope.com/ruinous and shop their award-winning audio production products and save 10% off your order with the code FRET10. Make your audio sound better. Hello, and welcome to episode 30, the Juliet House episode of the Design Freaks podcast. This is a show about record covers, graphic design, music history, design history, and how all those things are, you know, intertwined like a shredded wheat biscuit. And if you get that reference, I love you. And I love you anyway. I'm your host, Clarita. I live in Seattle. I like researching. I like yapping about record cover design and just design in general, why not? Um, Hope everyone out there is doing okay. I'd like to wish all of my fellow graphic designers a very, please make the logo bigger and please make it pop. And if you could Rostify that by 5%, that'd be great. That's right, the references are flying. uh i want to say before i get started talking to you about julian house stereo lab intro the design company stereo labs duophonic labels um i just wanted to say listen up y'all are the coolest podcast listeners out there and i want to say thank you for your support if you haven't subscribed please do it and if you like the show please leave a review on itunes Tell your designer slash vinyl collector friends. Send me notes, DMs, emails, questions, jokes. No roasts. I can't take it. (laughs) But yeah, uh, give me suggestions. And uh, I do keep a spreadsheet and I'm, uh, yeah, I'll get to all the topics someday. Uh, You can find photos and other info on this episode and about every episode I've ever done at designfreakspodcast.com. All 30. How is it only 30. So bizarre. It must be quarantine time that it feels like it's been decades. Check out other hilarious and fun podcasts at RuinousMedia.com. There's all kinds of shows there and uh, Garfield and non-Garfield related merchandise. Let's talk about Julian House. So he, Julian House is one of my favorite sort of art-centric designers of all time. I am obsessed with a few of his projects in particular, so I'm going to go over that. I'm going to go over mostly Stereolab, Broadcast. I'm going to talk about the origin of Cliff, the little cartoon guy that Stereolab used for Duophonic and uh, for their 7 inches, and the origin of that. And then also I want to talk about some of the other stuff he did for Can the uh, Lost Tapes, the Can Sacrilege tribute record, the live box set, and most recently, the singles. People sometimes ask me, why don't you try to get an interview? Um, uh, why, are you, why are you not interviewing the actual designer? And I do like to talk to uh, designers, obviously, and I have. Um, it's I think interviews are a totally different vibe and when I started the show it was kind of just uh, a way to talk about my favorite designers and their backgrounds and just straight up information. Now would I like to talk to Julian House? Of course. Oh my gosh Um, that would be a dream come true but I also like these straight up research uh, episodes and it's not A huge deep dive. There's definitely more pedantic people out there. I don't know the most and I'm not claiming to. I just am sort of saying kind of going over my highlights and finding out kind of fun little tidbits. I also like to provide an introduction in case someone is new to the podcast or new to graphic design or new to these music genres. They might not even know anything about the records, the artists, anything. Maybe you have amnesia. And so, I sort of like to uh, provide an introduction. So, with that in mind, managing expectations. I just want to, you know, talk about this wonderful artist and designer. And I want to first. I normally start out with a little bio, and then c- kind of go into the the projects that are my faves. So. First of all, Julian House is a British graphic designer and musician, mostly known for his pulpish. Um, and I've always wondered, what is pulp? So it is a term, it's a paper term uh, referring to the pulpy, cheap paper, like newsprint type paper. Um, and here I got this uh, official sort of explanation from VintageLibrary.com. Thank you. Uh, It says, the term originated from the magazines of the first half of the 20th century, which are printed on cheap pulp paper and published fantastic escapist fiction for the general entertainment of the masses. So in House's own words, he says, the pulp end of things, which still informs me today as much as classic design, strange old vinyl LPs, paperback books, found ephemera, um, and in the same interview, he named a bunch of artists that uh, influenced him. Peter Seville, of course. We had an episode on Peter Seville. I believe it was episode two. Uh, Saul Bass, Max Ernst, William S. Burroughs, um, a few others, including H.P. Lovecraft and Lewis Carroll. So I'll get more into the aesthetics of each individual project in just a little bit, but um, in addition to all that kind of layered collage-based cover artwork that he made independently, he also worked with Intro, which is a London-based design direction company. Uh, they're sort of like high concept. He collaborated with Broadcast, um, beautiful visual representation of their music. Uh, Stereo Lab, Primal Scream, and then with Intro, they also created covers for Oasis, The Prodigy and Razorlight. He also collaborated in the film Barbarian Sound Studio, so he created the title sequence, the poster. So it's a movie about a creepy sound studio. So this is from the intro.uk.com website and uh, this is what they say about the his sound involvement with the film. A new world that requires all your magic powers. Oh, grazie. Julian House was originally approached by director Peter Strickland, a fan of his work, to design posters and recording studio Ephemera for art department use with his uh, film, Barbarian Sound Studio. Julian then suggested the idea of a credit sequence for the film within the film interesting um and then this is peter strickland saying he instantly knew what was needed for the film and often led the way pushing the design aspect more in the direction it had to go in he had the idea of coming up with a fake title sequence for the film within the film which i thought was brilliant um house envisioned the fake title sequence one of the most arresting and genuinely thrilling moments in the film And then that was by Jason Wood, Electric Sheet Magazine. And then James from Broadcast says that the title sequence was a complete inspiration. Um, The entire soundtrack for that movie was provided by Broadcast, came out in 2013. So as a musician, he performs and composes under the name Focus Group. He also is the co-founder of the music label Ghost Box. Busy much? Clearly, he's very accomplished. He's done so many different cool things. Cool cinema, music, design, all the different avenues. So starting with broadcast, if you're not familiar with broadcast, the music is beautiful. I wrote down it's haunting, it's psychedelic, it's weird, slightly disturbing, dark, ominous, um, but also pretty. Um, They're from Birmingham, and they were formed in 1995, originally with Trish Keenan, R.I.P., sadly, and James Cargill. And she was the vocalist, beautiful voice of an angel, keyboards and guitar, and James played bass. Unfortunately, Trish Keenan did pass away on January 14th of 2011. She was 42. She had... Complications with pneumonia um, after contracting H1N1. So if you remember, that was like what we thought was going to be a pandemic. It's really sad. Uh, It says here that uh, Cargill, the sole remaining member, said in a 2011 interview with Under the Radar that a new broadcast album was in the works featuring vocals recorded uh, before her death and uh, later said Trish left a lot of tapes, four tracks and stuff. I've been going through those. It's difficult. I'm connected to, to it at the same time. It's wonderful, but I'm also feeling a sense of loss. The next thing I release with Trish on it will be more like a monument and a tribute to her rather than this obsessive thing I used to have about making albums. Um, and then it says on the Wikipedia page, as of 2021, however, the album has not been released. So let's all watch out for that can't wait. I hope it does happen. And it'll be amazing, I'm sure. My favorite album is probably the Ha Ha Sound from 2003. Um, And just from that album, I would have to say my favorite song would be Man is Not a Bird. And I've always noticed the drumming, like they've always had, you know, not always, but from beginning Um, the first record was a little bit more minimal and a little bit more experimental and by that second record I started to notice like wow the drumming is incredible and so on that record it was Keith York and Steve Perkins and then that was that record was released in 2000 I believe um, on Warp Records and then by 2003 they released the Ha Ha Sound and when I heard the song, Man is Not a Bird, I was like, who is this hot shot on the drums? Incredible. His name's Neil Bullock. Bullock sorry. And if you go to his website, he uses the New Balance logo, which really cracked me up. When I saw that uh, for his initials. Um, so anyway, he's like this drumming prodigy, um, started drumming at the age of eight. He like was in some big band that toured with Chuck Berry apparently. So that's an incredible record. The haha sound and the artwork for it. I can't separate the two in my mind. Uh they go together so well. It's definitely a lot of halftone, collage. There's a mo- uh, motion to the artwork. There's just so much texture and gritty, grainy, paper was cut up sloppily and just placed in the perfect places. Uh, The overall movement of the design is moving in a a spiral coming outward toward the viewer. There is a splatter type of uh, effect and the typography. It changed my mind about what design could be when I saw Julian's work because it's not even like childish, but it is painterly or... Um, I don't primitive I don't know there's something very expressionist about the typography it's just not it's not overthought the letters are recognizable but there's nothing formal about it and there's definitely this white black and orange sort of color story happening that I love Um, after that record they also collaborated well the noise made by people also that that was. I couldn't stop staring at that record because of the yellow. It's got a yellow field in the background, and then it looks like there's typesetting, like a old-fashioned typewriter at the top, where it says "broadcast." The noise made by people, almost like it's from it's being filed away in a in an office, like an old office. And because the music is so reminiscent of the '60s, you kind of I got the feeling of like dusty file cabinets um the type itself is it looks like paper that's been cut up and just like kind of thrown down or placed haphazardly they there's photographs inside the letters it's crazy there's a red uh stripe t- uh, typewriter reminiscent little um dashes i don't know i'm i'm over i'm over explaining but uh you just have to see it for yourself it's very much what the album sounds like. And then you have similar styles with the pendulum single, and that was from the album Ha Ha Sound with the exact same uh, lettering style where he reused the broadcast that he used for the entire LP, an eyeball. And this color story is different. It's more like a cool color, blue, and sort of a weird slate gray. Things are coming in and out of focus. Which is something he does in the *Barbarian* sound studio title sequence too. I love that. Then we get to *Tender Buttons*. I was talking about drumming before. This is the album where they went to—they went full electronic. I love it because I love everything they do. Um, definitely different take on the cover, where there's—it's photograph-based. The word *tender* is backwards. You know, there's sort of a mirror. What's a reflection and what's real? Then we have amazing the broadcast and the focus group investigate which cults of the radio age. This was a collaboration, a musical and design collaboration between Julian house and broadcast, beautiful, witchy, um, spooky. It's almost like dark fairy tales. The songs are really short. So it's like a book of fairy tales. So this was released by warp on October 27th, 2009. So what I've, read about this record is that it's sort of like they wanted to combine their shared inspirations from the 1960s. So the BBC soundtracks, pulp science fiction, Europop, occult, uh, witchy stuff, jazz. And so this was their first full-length musical collaboration. And I love how they kind of piece things together. I, you know, obviously I like to piece audio together, And it's kind of drawn from horror movies. They take samples from like nursery rhymes, creepy stuff, just sound effects. Uh, It says here when I was reading about it, um, like a long lost mantra-like ritual from some faraway place a hundred years ago. It creates a dynamic haunting, but still pleasant mood, which is what makes it so thrilling. Yeah, I agree. And that was from Vice. I absolutely love it. I, I would suggest if you haven't heard it, put some headphones on, turn the lights off, and close your eyes, and see where it takes you. Okay, getting to his work with Stereolab. They are an English-French avant-pop band. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, I don't wanna read everything from articles, but I can't say it any better than this. Um, they were formed in London in 1990. They were led by the songwriting team of Tim Gain and Letitia Sadier. There's something very vintage, you know, sweet about it, but it's also really heavy. It's heavy music. And um, there's like feedback, there's different influences from all over the world. It's been called post rock. It's something that's really hard to explain. If you could explain Stereolab they wouldn't need to make the records. Like just listen to it. Um and uh, sadly I can't. Don't think I have permission to play it in the podcast. Go buy their albums. Order those records from the Duophonic website, please. Okay, so Julian House did an amazing job again of visually capturing the band with design so much so that I also have a hard time separating the two in my mind when I think about Stereo Lab, I think about those album covers—the red and green, or the blue and green, the color combos, the uh, the way that they went all in on a like a library look. Um, I just I love every part of of their aesthetic. So, anyways, the thing I really want to talk about is okay. So Julian House didn't create this, but I came upon this uh, Dangerous Minds article. And it was kind of circulating a few years ago. But if you didn't know this, it's a fun fact that the band's Cliff logo, it's the little cartoon guy they used for a bunch of their 7 inches, for duophonic super 45s, and for, I believe they used it for the early stuff as like their label logo. Um, That little guy with the finger gun was taken from the comic strip Der Toglik Finger, by Anton Holtz Portman. I don't. I think Stereolab named him Cliff because he had probably no name. He was just like kind of a symbol, symbolic figure. Um, he was taken from a Swiss political comic from 1969. He's a figure of the establishment who's eventually shot by the forces of the revolution. Pang, like the Stereolab song, they took uh, the little character from... This little, and I'm going to post, of course, I post all the visual stuff I talk about most of it on my website, designfreakspodcast.com and on my Instagram. And it's a six panel comic with the little figure and each panel changes a little bit. So it starts where the cliff guy is pointing it at the viewer. So it's that hard to do like Uncle Sam wants you hand if anyone has as much trouble drawing hands as I do which is why everyone wears creepy uh, kitchen gloves now in my drawings. <laughs> um, it's the figure pointing directly at the viewer. And at first, it's a normal finger with a fingernail. The next panel shows that there's a hole in it. The ne- panel after that shows that there's a, a larger hole in the finger. Now there's a scope on the end. The panel next to that is now the hand is turning into a gun. The panel after that, it's fully a gun with chambers what do you call it the barrel i don't know the last one is the explosion um and it's really cute it's like a peter max style multi cloud like stripy cloud explosion um and then below it somebody went ahead and translated the text that's within each panel and it says uh well well so you are an upright person you love peace and quiet law and order you have worked over 20 years with the same company. Your boss likes you. You have never been criticized, never any complaints. You play cards. You read the Zürcher Zeitung, which I looked up. It's a Swiss, uh, German-language new- daily newspaper. Uh, you believe in God and belong to the shooting club. You're a lieutenant in the army. About time you were bumped off. <laughs> so I guess it's like leftist propaganda is what I'm gathering um and then it says as you can see the image of the grinning face hardly changes but the accusing finger slowly mutates into a loaded pistol which goes off paying in the last panel so so gain calls cliff the youthful judge jury and executioner representing the 1968 generation staunchly opposed to militarism conformity uh, bourgeois values and so forth um They use the final panel where the explosion's happening for Pang for obvious reasons, because that's where the explosion happens. They occasionally use the first panel with the naked finger. Okay, so then the article supplies all the different variations of Cliff that Stereolab went through over the years, and it's really cool. I'm definitely going to post all these and the original comic. It's really fun to see what they were able to do with color combos and um, just how they, they use that character. It's so funny. And I, I remember seeing this character and not really looking at it that closely. And I didn't realize he had sideburns. (laughs) I thought that whatever that was, I thought his ears were his shoulders because his neck is so distorted. And then he's now that I look clearly, there's a shirt collar underneath, but I thought his shoulders were his feet. And you'll know what I'm talking about if you look. Um, <laughs> so he was used for the Super Electric 10-inch from 1991, the Super 45 10-inch from the same year, switched on comp 1992, switched on comp Brazilian reissue. Uh, there's a different color combo. Really cool. I love all their color combos. The Serial Lab Lo-Fi 10-inch from 92. The Harmonium Farfisa 7-inch from 92. Then a really cool, uh, very high vibration saturation color combo for the light that will cease to fail 7-inch on pink vinyl from 1992. Um, I really wish I had all these, by the way. Uh, This would be such a great collection to have all the Cliff. To have the whole Cliff collection. The Light That Will Cease to Fill, 7-Inch on Yellow, vinyl from 92. And then the Peng uh, record from 93 with the explosion. This looks like they made a stencil. Um, and then the Stereo Lab French Disco, 7-Inch from 93. They used multiple cliffs. <laughs> then they used the, the regular finger cliff for John Cage Bubblegum, 7-Inch. Great song, by the way it goes on and on folks just take a look and then in 98 for the stereo lab sampler um, they started using that kind of futuristic lettering with cliff so both of them so anyways fun fact about that little guy you know julian house has done a ton of great work uh, for stereo lab Probably my favorite design for them would have to be Marjorie and Eclipse. I mean, it is just delicious. All I have to say is layers, textures, shapes, the color orange. It fills me with joy. Okay. You know, lastly, I want to talk about uh, something that I didn't realize he did until recently. And these are records I have. Um, First, the Can Sacrilege album that he Well, intro, the design company designed the packaging for through Mute Records. And I was so excited when this came out because I couldn't imagine being able to cover a can song like, what are you going to do, a remix? And yes, there were remixes, but uh, some of it's dated. I have listened to it again. Some of it's still great. Um, Sonic Youth did a cover of Spoon. Uh, Uncle did Vitamin C. Then let's see Future Days was done by Blade Runner. Um let's see Pete Shelley did Father Cannot Yell and Brian Eno covered the song Noom, P N O O M. Um and I thought this was a gatefold but it wasn't. It's a 3 LP release but um it's nice packaging anyway. The cover is a photo of these light boxes. Sort of a reel-to-reel recorder of some sort. but anyway, the, the information is in the light boxes, and then each record inside had it sort of acts as an insert with the uh, inner sleeve. So um, on the record with the Brian Eno song, he writes, "Dear Canites, I spent days working on this project practically a whole week. I'm disappointed with my results. <laughs> I thought I'd be able to make a brilliant new take on the things you did really? Why? <laughs> uh, JK. Um, But he found it to be very difficult, blah, blah, blah. He goes on and on about how difficult it was. Of course, you know, Lee Ronaldo, Sonic Youth. Anyway, there's a bunch of uh, interesting artists here, and it's great packaging that intro did. The next record would be the Lost Tapes, and this would be the signature uh, Julian House collage with layers this specifically um, kind of makes me think of a library. There's like a card catalog feel to it. There's um, it looks like there's Sharpie on uh, sort of a paper bag, sort of, but um, just composed really well. And on the back, there's typewriter on little pieces of paper with tape and just stamps and all kinds of of layering going on. it's it's really. Really pleasing to look at, and then there's like sort of a, a sound wave type of imagery on the center labels on the records. Uh, I, I lo- definitely love the packaging more than ever, all the music, to be honest. I love can, and then the last one um, that I'll talk about that I don't, I don't have um, is the can singles. Uh, yeah, it has everything: spoon, mushroom, turtles of short legs, all those vitamin C, all the hits, and really nice typography. Uh, it's very simple, black and white with a like a pattern. I believe it's embossed um, with a kind of a varnish on the actual record. Could be wrong. Could be making that up. Could be wanting it to be embossed. <laughs> anyway, okay, just to wrap it up. Uh, Julian House, amazing designer, artist, musician, and... Who knew he directed this title sequence? He you know, he's done video work. It's just upsetting how talented this person is. And I would highly recommend that you check out his other work and his music. He was a huge inspiration to me. He's one of the people uh, I have to be con- conscientious not to rip them off, you know, because m- so much of his work is why I became a designer in the first place and it made such a huge impression on me. So, check out ghostbox.co.uk to see their catalog of work. Definitely retro. There's some Swiss design, but it's also irreverent. It's also punk in the best way. And then go to uh, intro-uk.com and uh, check out what he's done with intro. Buy all those uh, Cliff records. Try to find those on Discogs. And thank you for listening to episode 30 underscore final, underscore final v5, underscore final for real, underscore fml dot psd. Goodbye.